You are listening to Gangland Wire, hosted by former Kansas City Police Intelligence Unit Detective Gary Jenkins. Welcome, all you wiretappers out there. Back on the, uh, I don't know how many weeks of uh, isolation or self-quarantining or whatever we're doing here in Kansas City, like the rest of you are throughout the whole world, actually, which is what is, is amazing to me. And as you know, I'm putting up some extra podcasts, and, and I'm reaching outside of the United States again to uh, my friend Nate Henley from up in Toronto, Canada. Nate, welcome. Hi, it's uh, great to be back here, Gary. Great that you're still healthy, and I'm still healthy. I'm really, I know, and I hope all you uh, wiretappers out there are healthy too. It's uh, we've got my our friend uh, Basil Terabiche from down in Dallas, Texas. Uh, Basil Nate helps me with social media marketing. He's really basically a fan, but but he'll get on my. I made him administrator of my fan, my Facebook page, and and he'll put extras photos and article link articles and and things like that quite often. Well, he. And he'll actually record a movie review with me every once in a while, a mob movie review. And oh. last time I got hold of him to record one, he, he was working double shifts down in Dallas, Texas, in a hospital. He's a hmm. technician. So wow. he's working. I mean, this was like, he texted me at four in the afternoon. He said, well, he said, I can't do it. They've asked me to keep working. And, and then he tex- texted me the next morning, said he just got off. So he was working. That was almost 20 hours from the time that I talked to him the first time. And so I, I haven't talked to him since. I just, uh, I've, I've noticed he's pretty much sighted on social media. And, and he did put up a picture of one of his uh, fellow employees with a Superman mask the other day. So they're, they're, they're even kind of making their own mask down there too. So it's, uh, you know, we, uh, uh, and my friend Casey Walsh's wife is the head of uh, surgery at uh, General or Truman Medical Center, used to be General Hospital. And and so those guys are all working like crazy over there. That's kind of the local hospital that, uh, that takes uh, indigent people and people without insurance. So it's, uh, you know, I tell you, there's a lot of heroes out there. Plus, just like the grocery guy that's bringing some groceries here later on today, they had to go in and stock those things up and put them in a bag and haul them out to me and and other people you you know they're working manning those grocery stores and all those things so a big shout out to all those uh those folks that uh you know never thought they'd be heroes you know the the orderlies at the hospital and the uh uh, checkout uh people at the grocery stores who would ever thought huh absolutely heroes all really so uh we're going to talk a little bit about uh, how boring is it to be a member of a mob? <laughs> you brought that up when we talked before, and I thought, how interesting, because I have thought that, and, and I remember seeing some of these young guys that, that want to be mobsters, and, and and they didn't really have jobs. I think maybe they'd have some kind of get some kind of a score every now and then, but but and they lived at home with their mothers and fathers usually. Uh, mm-hmm. Remember this one kid? He wanted to be a mobster so bad. He was probably 19 or 20. He wasn't going to college. He was out of high school. He was hanging out around all the older mobsters. And and we got an informant that told us that, and we noticed he always wore black and he had a black car. And they said his room had pictures, had the um, posters from The Godfather all over it and then had black light in it to light him up. There was some kind of uh, Uh, light up with black light. uh, And he had black sheets and black covers, and, and he lived in his the bedroom of the f- house that he grew up in. <laughs> oh, of course. 
you know, and, and yeah. since then, I, I've gotten a connection that, that knows his dad, has known his dad for a long time, who is now deceased. And he said, yeah, he said his dad said, yeah, that kid, he won't do anything. <laughs> he thinks he wants to be a mobster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it is interesting. I learned about this through Joseph Bistoni, who was the FBI agent who infiltrated mafia circles in New York City under the name Donnie Brasco. You know, he sort of pretended that he was part of a criminal background and sort of was accepted into um, mob circles, but very much low end that uh, a lot of what he did was he would just sort of hang out with these guys and they sort of had their own little clubhouse. And he said that, you know, they'd spend these long afternoons just sort of playing cards. They'd always play gin rummy was their big favorite. They'd order out for lunch. And they spent an inordinate amount of time talking about big scores they were going to do or scores they'd done in the past. And then they'd maybe get together in the evening and actually pull something off. And he noticed a couple things. He said that um, he said that in his in his uh, observations, members of the mafia tended to talk about their job much more than people like who work for an insurance company or a bank or you know a government license office. That this was twenty four seven. This was their identity, their life, and just he was astonished how boring a lot of it was. That he thought it would be sort of you know gangbusters and you know, shoot 'em up kind of stuff. I think that would apply to like you know the guys at the very top would have this sort of fun life where they hang out in nightclubs and you know start cocaine and stuff. But yeah, a lot of guys at the bottom, it's very he said very mundane. And some of the times that he would be called in. Uh, he would t- he wasn't allowed to take part in criminal activities, but he would do things like, for example, he pulled guard duty when this big mafioso boss came to town, and him and one of his, uh, his mob buddies sort of guarded the um, bar where this guy was having his big you know meeting. So you know you, you'd spend hours just standing around, and sure maybe you're allowed to have a gun, pulling guard duty while these big shots in there have these endless cigarettes and coffees and. Yeah talk about stuff and you're not allowed to you know, ask them any questions you know you just have to guard stay there so a lot of it was just very dull and really? um i think at pop culture there's a tendency to focus on like big shots you know what al capone was doing oh yeah look at this life he led you know he smoked cigars and he hung out with all these you know hollywood celebrities and politicians and he had all this money and they tend to forget that Al Capone had hundreds of guys in his payroll. And a lot of what they did was stand around guarding him yeah. or do very penny ante stuff. Like they go around collecting bet money or something, which, you know, okay, maybe it's better than having a nine to five office job, but it's not exactly <laughs> like, you know, um, hanging out with the, uh, you know, it's not exactly the glamorous high life. Um, and Pistoni also made the observation that a lot of these guys tended to always be on the verge of being broke, that they'd, you know, they'd make a big score and you have to kick up a big chunk of whatever you make to the guy, you know, above you. Otherwise, yeah. you're a deep, deep shed. So you have to kick up a chunk of that. And you've got all this cash. And these guys, you know, first of all, they're not hugely well educated. So they're not too big on, OK, let's invest this in T-bonds or something. They tend to spend it all. They also tended to gamble a lot. And he said they inevitably broke. He was actually lending money. <laughs> <laughs> guys he hung out with. 
that he couldn't believe that. He'd always be like, Give me a, a fifty bucks for you know just, just for a day, you know. I just need a little money, and he, he's like, "Okay, sure, here's fifty bucks." So, so much for this sort of like idea that all monsters are rich and powerful and glamorous, and uh, you know, always living this incredibly exciting life. Um, so, I thought that was very relevant. Anyone who's interested in joining these organizations you're not going to start at the top you know it's just like it's like joining anything like joining walmart you know join walmart probably going to be a greeter that's your first job for stock and shelves not going to be the big big guy at the top you know and and i've stood around and guarded people uh and it is boring (laughs) there's there's nothing worse than standing around guarding somebody there is nothing to do And you know nobody's gonna like crash in, and, and uh, at least I guess they had to could look out for surveillance, maybe, or see if there's any cops around. You know, you know, kind of interesting about that guard duty when a big shot would come to town. Well, one of those times was uh, was a Sicilian uh, uh, when Carmine Galente met with the Sicilian came in from out of town. It was kind of the start of the pizza connection story, and and uh, what was that guy's name that was his mentor, Rosario? Um, Lefty Rosario told him he's two guns on <laughs> Rosario, the Al Pacino character. He was kind of a kind of a loser, <laughs> but he told him he said, "Yeah, he said those guys are from Sicily and Carmine Galente. You know that we can't know anything about that, have anything to do with that. Nobody's supposed to know." And and they got this big heroin thing going. So that was one of the tips that, as some other agents at the same time were were actually kind of starting to develop the probable cause on these Sicilians that were uh, working with the Bonanno family. And, and then they, you know, I, and that's how it works, Nate. You get one tip one place and you get another tip from another place. And, and you just, or you see people getting together and you don't know why they're getting together. You talk about the boring life of a mobster, the boring life of a policeman investigating the mob sometimes because you just sit and watch. You know, I, I sat on one of, uh, in one apartment on this one joint eight hours a day for a solid month. And and they're just, you know, nothing ever happened. And, you know, what's funny is, is about a month after we gave, we quit doing that, you know, we documented all the different people we needed documenting. And got pictures of them and all that. And about a month later, <laughs> they ran in the back door and shot the place up, shot two or three mob guys that were in there of an opposing faction. So I, I don't know what we'd have done if we'd have, we'd have seen, we were watching the front, we'd have seen that guy, we're, main guy we were watching, seen him run out the front door from our you know second floor apartment, and then somebody else had burst out the back door behind him and popped him with the shotgun. <laughs> We'd have been going, oh my God! But you know, it's it's hours and hours of boredom followed by moments of sheer terror. So <laughs> yes, somewhat like being in the army, I guess. Yeah, mob guys are kind of the same way. It's hours and hours of boredom, and then they go out and do a score, and there's sheer terror and adrenaline running while they do a score, and then it's over. <laughs> the other thing I liked about the um, Donnie uh, Donnie Brasco, and you're talking about you know his um, you know his mentor, the rear Rod. Rodrigo, Rodrigo, I always get his name wrong. Lefty Two Guns. Yeah, yeah. Rogerio. Um, Rogerio. Yeah. Rogerio at one point takes, you know, him aside, takes Joseph Pistoni, who's pretending to be Donnie Brasco, and gives him this sort of etiquette lesson, this mafia etiquette. You know, oh, yeah. shave your mustache. You always <laughs> got to dress decently, like wear slacks and a dress shirt. Don't show up in a t shirt, sweatpants. Always be, def- you know, like you said, always sort of like a 
Um, a made guy tells you to do something, you do it. You never disagree with a made guy, even if you know he's totally wrong about something. Yeah. Even if it's even if it's something really obvious, like who won the World Series last year, you just nod your head and agree with them, and basically don't make waves. And it yeah. was just sort of I just thought it was funny because you know you're reading this and it's like these guys who think they're joining the mob because it gives them the freedom to do whatever the hell they want. I don't want to be cooped up in an office where they tell you what to do. And here it is, he's you know Lefty Two Guns is telling him what to do. Oh, yeah. You got to do this. You got to do that. Don't dress this way. You know, he's even giving him dress tips. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like down to like, oh, yeah, you know, always wear a good shirt. And, you know, that's how they don't ever wear jeans. I remember that was another one of his rules. Yeah. Well, yeah, that would be really offensive, you know, to show up yeah. in jeans and a T-shirt. Yeah. And, you know, it was the same way in Kansas City. I just never talked to anybody that, that talked about that. But I, we know we knew that our boss had a strict rule against any facial hair. And nobody that was close to him had any facial hair. Yeah, yeah. And they, all, they all dressed the same. They, it was like, you know, like off-duty policemen. I could spot off-duty policemen from a mile off. We all dressed the same. And these guys all dressed the same, you know. At, at one time, there were those kind of polyester Sansa belt slacks and polo shirts and a leather coat in the winter in a, in a snap-brim hat, maybe, or some other kind of uh, yeah, uh, yeah. slouch hat or something. But uh, but they all dressed the same. Cars were all about the same, too. I, I guess, you know, people were kind of the same all over, actually, <laughs> whatever we do. Yeah, yeah, that's true enough. That's true enough. And I thought it was interesting, too, that he, he discovered the other surprise he had was he discovered that a lot of the mafia income came from just from illegal gambling. Yeah. He he assumed a lot of the mafia money would be from, you know, something exciting, I guess you could say, you know, be it drugs or gun smuggling yeah. or prostitution. And of course, there was that ink. There was that piece that was definitely, definitely there. But he said a lot of it was just illegal poker games, you know, and some you know, the back of some clubhouse or some bar, and they have these guys playing poker. Oh, well, here's your, you know, here's your share of the, you know, 500 bucks for letting us play here or something. Yeah. And so a lot of what he did was just he'd go around with lefty two guns, they'd collect gambling debts and stuff. So a lot of things that, uh, you know, took him by surprise. And I think, yeah, you know, pop culture, Hollywood, they've got to glamorize it a bit, make it a little more exciting than it really is. But even if you watch it, one thing I noticed, I watched the Godfather movies the other day. And if you watch real close, there are always these dudes in the background who just, just sort of standing there. Yeah, just standing there. Watching Al Pacino, watching yeah. Marlon Brando, watching, you know, all the characters. And they're not doing anything. They're just yeah. doing a lot of standing around, you know. So gives you a bit of an eyeful of what real life would be like in these conditions. Really? And, and, and you know, I've never seen that in real life where <laughs> somebody just stands like that yeah. and guard, guards the boss. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine they'd be a little more casual. <laughs> they may be somewhere around in the area, but they never just stand like that, like they're guarding the boss. <laughs> Even in kind of little meetings they might have in the back of a bar or something, they were just there. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> maybe we're a little less sophisticated here in Kansas City. I don't oh, know. come on. Maybe they do that stuff in New York City. <laughs> yeah, who knows? You know, they're trying to be a little flashier or something. They definitely do it in the movies, though, don't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of dudes just standing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm yeah. like, I can imagine standing like that for eight hours would be kind of like tough in the 
knee joints or something. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, those big scores that they get, they don't come along very often. And, and, mm-hmm. and most of the mob guys, they can't, they don't really do that. They have to depend on these associates that, that have those kinds of skills and are willing to take those kinds of direct chances with getting popped right in the middle of a score. I mean, they, they, they try to, you know, they want to help fence it and they want a little piece of the action. They may be a street tax or something, but they don't have the skills. Most mob guys, we had, Maybe one or two mob guys that were really big into arsons. They did a lot of arsons for hire. Uh, and that was kind of one, the only ones I can think of where they actually went out and did things like that. It was always the associates that did that. Somebody'd have a, you know, know about alarms. We had one guy that knew all about alarms and he would do jewelry store things and then he'd fence the jewels through a mob connected jewelry store. And they would get a piece of it that way, but they didn't really go along on those those other kinds of those scores, and they didn't plan them out either. You'd have a guy who was a mob associate who would be a setup guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he would find the score, he would put the people together, and he would then, or at least find one of them who would have somebody that you know would go along with him who would put together a crew. Mm-hmm. But uh, and then he'd fence the property and maybe even provide like one time he got caught providing a couple of guns for him and you know, went down for that. But but main the mob guys, I, I I'm with you. I don't know what they did. We were we were all over yeah. under boss for a while. Tuffy DeLuna, and he'd get up late in the morning, and and we were on him so much for about three months. We knew every thing that he did. He'd get up late in the morning. I think he'd, he'd eat at home. He'd call his buddy, called his, his comp, as in compre or your friend in, in uh, Italian or Sicilian. I'm not sure which language it was, but he called him his comp. And he'd call his comp up and say he's going here, he's going there, but he wouldn't say exactly where it was. That guy would know. You know kind of, yeah, yeah. Little little what was that place where we went, went before? before? Or we're going over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He'd say, well, you mean where the ice cream is? And he'd say, yeah, yeah. And you'd be going, what the hell? Where's their ice cream shop around? And be trying to figure out where they were going. And then we'd follow him, and, and he'd run someplace. He'd maybe go down to what they called the, the trap, the social club, and he'd just hang out there and, then he'd leave from there, and, and by then he may have a, he have a phone call coming in from Las Vegas. And after we really got on to him, we knew that he had a, he was expecting a phone call, which is almost every day. Uh, and and he would go to a bank of payphones, and he'd be on the phone for you know fifteen twenty minutes, maybe thirty minutes, and then he'd leave again, and maybe go back down at the city market and meet up with one of his bosses with one of the Savella brothers who were kind of the, I guess Nick Savella was the actual boss, but his brother would stand in for him a lot. And he'd go down and meet up with them and kind of report about the, the conversation. And, and then he'd go on and he'd maybe go back over to the trap uh, social club and hang out a little bit. And then he'd go home and then he'd come back out and he'd call his girlfriend and, and see what she was doing that night or see, and, and then he'd, mm-hmm. and then he'd go back down out to a club and he'd just sit in the back of the club with, you know, one or another guy that would come in. They just sit there and, you know, they didn't drink heavily. Uh, you know, hell, if that'd been me back then, I'd have, <laughs> by midnight, I'd have been staggered out that door. They'd sit that whole night in that club sipping on, drinks smoking cigarettes and talking and then go home 
one, two, three o'clock in the morning. Kind of depends. Sometimes they go to an after hours club, but they just sit and look and talk and can figure out what they're doing for the most part. Kind of being available to people, I guess. You never saw any of those those professional thieves. Uh, Bobby Jean Jones and people like that who were the good, you know, alarm men and and burglars and and uh, guys that would steal truckloads of stuff. You never see them walk up and talk to them. They wouldn't talk to guys like that. They have somebody else do that. So that was kind of a day in Tuffy's life. This long, boring day with several conversations. You, know, you touch something. Uh, you hit something on the head there that the they give this sort of mistaken impression when you read in the press. They'll talk about you know run construction company or something and you get the idea that there's like this office with a mobster right on the construction site you know sitting there bellowing orders <laughs> and you're, you're absolutely right a lot of it is these associates or like you know some friend of a mobster runs yeah. this company yeah and kicks back money to you know his maf- mafia buddy and maybe the mafia buddy helps fix a couple contracts here and there tenders or stuff but they're not actively day-to-day working the payroll or something or, you know, handing out you know, uh, lunch chits or something like that, right. that there's sort of this mistaken impression. And that's very interesting that, you know, like got a bunch of associates, let them take the risk. And, you know, if they make some money, like by all means, sure, give me a cut I'll give you protection <laughs> or whatever, or some contacts. So, yeah, it's uh, definitely, a, you know, realities of uh, the mafia are rather yeah. interesting well, there, you know there's there's nothing like making money while you sleep is there nate uh, yeah. <laughs> you make money while you slept when they were selling books right <laughs> exactly. yeah it's a nice feeling it's a nice feeling like make money while you sleep but you're out you're out churning that something out the next day you're doing something the next day to keep that going and get get another one out there or something and you know, there's a line from a, uh, I think it's uh, Don Henley, the lure of easy money. It has a mighty strong appeal. <laughs> so, yeah. Hope that's not a copyright violation, but uh, it's apropos for these guys. <laughs> it's true enough. True enough. I'm trying to think of, of other, I remember some of these young guys, they just, hell, they just, it was like when I was in high school as a teenager in a small town, you just, if you didn't have any work sometimes, especially when it was on the farm, you know, off seasons and wasn't much going on, you didn't have a steady job. You just go out and drive around and drive around and drive around. These guys, you'd see them just driving around, maybe go from one joint to the other, but just driving around and driving around. You think, oh, look, there goes old, you know, Paul Tucci. Let's, let's go see where he's going. Well, he'd, you know, go to one club and go in and not even, you know, maybe just, chat somebody up a few minutes and get out and drive around and drive around and yeah. <laughs> maybe stop in a restaurant and eat something and, and then drive around and drive around. And he wasn't even looking for a score. He wasn't really looking for anything. It didn't seem like killing time. Mm-hmm. All right. So I think we've, uh, I, I think we've talked a little bit about the mob uh, being a boring job. Uh, it's not so boring for, like I said, for moments of sheer terror, but hours and hours of boredom in between, uh, which I mm-hmm. can understand. And, you know, another thing, I, I've got this guy that I talk to all the time now that uh, Steve St. John, that actually was part of the crew that, that he went to watch him, and we ended up helping him get go to the penitentiary for 10 years came back out and, and we've become friends and he, he, he saw the light and he's got a square giant job he has for quite a while now and actually made pretty good money in the used car business 
but we talked we, we talked about that and and that's what he had he he but he was constantly hustling he was more like an associate constantly hustling he had all these drug deals out there going these these uh, sellers and he's constantly having to deal with them and and he had people he was fencing property for people and and boosters and prostitutes were bringing him stolen property and then he'd, he'd get that and and give them some money or tell them to go see one of his dealers and they'd give him they give him so much delighted for how much property there was and they didn't have to get it over this other guy who actually had a storefront that was fencing you know would sell it back out to the public and so his his was a constant you know going and going and going and almost wear you out or like a uh, like a mob associate that's a bookie now those guys during the football season man they rock and roll they are going they have a couple of days off but all weekend uh starting especially starting with friday night i guess now it's thursday night isn't there a football game on thursday night uh, i think there is anyhow but but just before the last football game and then again on saturday just before sunday people are trying to get their bets in for sunday afternoon and and lots of them, a lot of them wait till Sunday or Saturday afternoon, Saturday night to get those bets in for Sunday because all of, most of the games are on Sunday. So they're, they're just uh, they're running like crazy from one place to the other and trying to keep all that straight. And then they can kind of relax my my Monday and watch the Monday night game and <laughs> and then go. And then Thursday they go out and and collect and and pay up and and then they and then they go on the run again. So that would that would be kind of a job and a mob to have keep you busy, wouldn't it? Being the bookie, sure, yeah, yeah, keep your eye on your toes. <laughs> All right, Nate. Well, this has been great. Uh, you'll come back again, won't you? Absolutely. Always a pleasure to talk to you, Gary. All right. All right. Nice, nice talking, talking to, you. to you. And remember, if you're a veteran and you believe you have problems that might be from PTSD connected to your service time, call your local vet center or the local VA hospital, or they have a national hotline, 1-800-273-8255, and press 1 if you are a vet. You can also go to their website, www.ptsd.va.gov. This site contains a lot of resources. Also, I have the uh, donation button on my shop page. I also have my two movies up for rent for $1.99, Brothers Against Brothers and Gangland Wire. Um, I have my book, Leaving Vegas, How FBI Wiretaps Ended Mom Domination of Las Vegas Casinos. So stay well out there. Good evening, folks. Music provided by our good friend and super fan from Portland, Oregon, Casey McBride. Thanks, Casey.